Today is Monday, November 14th, 2022. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. Election results are in. Well, for the Senate, at least. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. Don't forget to leave a rating. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Leave a rating, all that good stuff. Joining me, as always, to get through that news of the cray, Trey Gons Phillips, Billy Hallowell from CBN's Faithwire. What's up, fellas? Happy Monday. Well, I'm two copies in and ready to roll. <laughs> Already to an, off to another week and off to the races. There we go. I mean, the elections are still going on. I mean, uh, how is that change, possible? I know. Can we just change it to election month? I mean, how about it's it's never over in a day. I mean, election it's just day election is fake season. news. <laughs> yeah, election season. Election day is fake news now. I mean, that's just not a thing. It was fun while it lasted, but it's gone. <laughs> So hopefully we can get on that, get it changed. But a lot coming up on the podcast today, including the Biden administration being pressured on Nigeria and the Christian persecution going on there. Also, we're going to take a look at Adoption Month and how Christians are um, trying to build up adoption. That'll be on the main thing today. But first, we are going to get through the news in 90 seconds. There's a manhunt underway after a deadly shooting at the University of Virginia late last night. Three are dead and others are injured. University police say they're looking for Christopher Darnell Jones Jr., who's reportedly a former UVA football player. And the big story in elections update. Election day, it's as we said, now it's election week, election month, election season. Results are still coming in. But what we do know is Democrats are going to hold on to power in the Senate as Democrat Catherine Cortez Masto narrowly defeated Republican Adam Laxalt in Nevada. As of now, the race is only separated by about 500 votes, and that leaves Georgia as the only Senate seat left in play. We know that one's going to a runoff. Uh, Democrats are holding a 50-49 to advantage, so the best the Republicans could do is a 50-50 tie. And either way, that puts Democrats in control of the Senate, as in the case of a tie, um, Kamala Harris, vice president, would hold the tiebreaker. The House, meanwhile, currently sits at 212-204 to in favor of Republicans. 218 seats are needed for control of the House there. There's still about 12 races left that could go either way. Republicans cautiously optimistic that they can retain a slim majority in the House. So those are just some of today's top headlines. You can check out those stories and more over at CBNNews.com. Guys, I mean, the election stuff, it's still going on. The Arizona governor's race is still one people are watching closely as they're going to be counting till probably about Tuesday, as according to Bill Gates, not that Bill Gates, the elections commissioner there in Arizona, uh, one of the officials there. And and Carrie Lake is saying that she thinks a lot of the remaining votes, there's a, a couple hundred thousand left to, to count, give or take, um, depending on when you listen to this. And Carrie Lake thinks that those votes remaining are heavily in her favor, uh, but this is this is a big couple of days because that House, if the Republicans do get it, you're going to have that sort of balance between the House and the Senate. If not, Democrats are going to have full control. You mean they're gonna they're gonna finish counting on <laughs> Tuesday in 2026? Is it that seems like? I mean, um, 
Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I don't, it's interesting because it's not at all what was said was going to happen. Right. I mean, we're looking at a situation where it seems like the GOP is really scrounging to try to make it to that finish line of taking, taking the house. So it'll be, it'll be really interesting to see where that all falls out. Yeah. I mean, and I can understand why, obviously a lot of this is just bad policies, right? The the way that you can count votes as long as they're received by election day yeah. and, and all of, all of this stuff, but it does raise questions, right? You, you can see why people are like, why is this taking so long? And then that sows doubt and concern about the authenticity of our elections and our vote and all of that. I feel like we're just making the problem worse by continuing to implement these laws that were put in place during COVID and need to just be, done away with at this point because yeah. they they don't work yeah and it just at the very least it's a it's a bad perception issue it's a it's a pr problem exactly you leave this time for people to sow doubt for conspiracy theories to pop up or and then if something really happens no one's going to believe that on the other side so it's a very unproductive way to get this done um i mean a day or two you can understand okay there, there's some extra shenanigans going on and they've it's super close and they've got to recount and there's and things like that do happen. But right now you just it, making it standard operating procedure to just take your little time to get these votes counted seems like a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah. Again, more technology than ever in human history. <laughs> and we're the most depressed we've ever been. And apparently can't run an election yeah. properly. So, now, you so well, you can keep up to date on it over at CBNnews.com as results will continue to come in and you can keep an eye on that house and see what happens there. Um, all right, let's go into our next story here. And there is a new petition that's been delivered to the Biden administration, who Joe Biden today, by the way, is meeting with President Xi in China. Well, not in China, but of China um, there at the G20 summit. And so um, he's been handed uh, this petition over their handling of Christian persecution in Nigeria. Remember, they were criticized for that. We reported that on this podcast and nothing seemed to be getting done. So what is going on with this petition, Billy? Yeah, I mean, this is a really interesting situation and a really tragic one. There were 33,000 people that signed this petition asking President Joe Biden and the Biden administration to put Nigeria back on the State Department's countries of particular concern list. And this is a list where they monitor persecution. You know, if you're a nation where there's a lot of persecution going on and it's diabolical and dangerous, then you're added to this list by the State Department and some things come along with that. Um, But the Biden administration actually removed Nigeria last year from that list, and that has sparked quite a bit of controversy. So that's what the, the petition is doing. It's seeking to get Nigeria put back on that list. Got it. So what is um, what is exactly a country of particular concern? How do they define that? Yeah, it's essentially a place where persecution is raging and you know, persecution typically at the hands of government or government is overlooking what is going on within the confines of a particular nation. And so that would land you on on that list. And what comes along with that is pressure, you know, international pressure. America obviously is powerful. If you're on the State Department's countries of particular concern list, you might you might have sanctions. It could lead to that. You might not have um, as much of ability to operate is the way you want to. So removing a nation from that list. And by the way, um, the nation of Nigeria was only added to the list in 2020. The Trump administration had added Nigeria and then the Biden administration removed Nigeria, which was perplexing to people in light 
of everything that is going on inside of the country. So what is, what is happening there? I mean, uh, we know that there's persecution in places like India and elsewhere in Africa. So what, what is going on in Nigeria there that, that got them on the list in the first place? Well, you know, we spoke, we've spoken throughout the year with a number of people, um, David Curry at Open Doors, Joel Veldkamp at um, Christian Solidarity International, and they've explained, you know, there's all these anecdotal situations, but on the whole, what is happening is massive, massive persecution. Um, 4,650,000 4, Christians were killed, I believe it was in 2021, uh, and you have this bizarre scenario where it's a Christian nation in so many ways, right? Um, um, in fact, one of the fastest growing Christian nations, but yet you have these pockets of extremism, Islamic extremism, where these deaths occur. If you remember back in May, the thing that really brought this international, including the pressure on the Biden administration, was this woman, Deborah Yakubu, who was a college student who was stoned to death, if you remember that, a Christian college mm. student. And there have been a string of other incidents since then, but her stoning on a campus there really shocked um, everybody around the world as it should have. And I think really brought this issue more to the forefront. Yeah. So, and as we said there that um, some of these watchdogs are a little perplexed. So what are, what are they saying? What are they, what are they saying as they're kind of scratching their heads? Well, yeah, the removal is what has shocked everybody, right? Yeah. There's been no real explanation for it. David Curry over at Open Doors USA told us earlier this year, he said, we're puzzled by this because nothing has gotten better in Nigeria. It continues to get worse. So it wasn't like a situation where the persecution was getting better and they said, oh, we're going to remove Nigeria from the list. It very clearly has gotten worse and continues to. We've covered probably five or six stories in the last few months about what has been going on, including, you know, kidnappings and murders and killings. And so it's a really tragic uh, situation. It really is. Yeah. And you wonder, I mean, it makes you wonder why the Biden administration just felt the need. Like, what was the impetus that caused them to remove them off the list? I mean, I don't think they've given a clear answer on this. And it, you'd think, okay, maybe there's some rationale, but I have not heard one given from the administration as to say, saying, well, here, we did this because of X, Y, and Z. Like you said, maybe some persecution has gone down, or maybe they think there's, they don't have enough resources to focus. I don't know. Some explanation would be interesting here, or at least be warranted to kind of ease people's concerns as to, well, what, what, what else is going on here? Well, yeah, and and Joel Veldkamp, who I mentioned from Christian Solidarity International, he he said it seems purely political. There has to be some political reason, but his concern obviously was that all these people are losing their lives, like Deborah and all of these others, and that the Nigerian government has done nothing to solve the problem. So therefore, you would not remove them; you would keep them on the list to keep the pressure on them. So it's interesting. You add them in twenty twenty. You have a regime change in America, and then you remove them. So th there has to be some political aspect to it, and it may be well intentioned, right? Um, I think it, we just don't we just don't know. But the reason this survey, by the way, or this petition rather, is coming out is because the State Department is about to reissue new countries of particular concern. So it is possible they re-add Nigeria. Yeah, well, hopefully it does get on that list. And uh, I mean, in the meantime, while we're waiting for that, I mean, we can certainly be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ there who are going through all of these hardships and persecutions that we can't even really imagine here in America.
Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just, it's unimaginable to think that there are believers in the 21st century who are going through this, but it's very real. And we're kind of the exception here in the West. So uh, it, it, these stories are always a great opportunity to, to, to get specifics about what to pray for, because if it happens to one part of the body, it's happening to all of us. Yeah, indeed. Mm-hmm. Indeed. All right. Well, Billy, thanks for bringing that story. That's going to lead us into our main thing here for today. And adoption. It is obviously something that is at the forefront for the pro-life movement because it goes hand in hand with standing up for life. And then now you have these lives when people listen and say, okay, let's let's go that route. So now there needs to be that health aspect of things. And that comes in the form of adoption. Well, Madison Seals talked to the president of Lifeline Children's Services about how adoption is key into building strong families and a strong America as well, and also how the pro-life movement can embrace National Adoption Month. All those things coming up on today's main thing. Welcome into today's main thing. It's hard to believe that we're almost halfway through the month of November already, but it hasn't been an easy two weeks either. Republicans experienced some major losses last week, including pro-life losses in Michigan, California, and Vermont all of which backed radical abortion measures. But just because midterms are over doesn't mean that the battle for life has ended. Abortion seemed to be a winning issue, but it's not a solution to crisis pregnancies. So in honor of National Adoption Month, which is the whole month of November, today we're talking about why adoption is essential to building strong families and a strong America. Joining me today is Herbie Newell, the president of the largest adoption agency in the country, Lifeline Children's Services. Irby, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, and thanks for tackling this very important topic. Absolutely, it is important. And I think some of our listeners are probably disappointed following last week. The expected red wave never came, but that doesn't mean that the pro-life fight is over. Even though it's been only about a week, what does the pro-life landscape and culture look like post-election? Yeah, I think... It looks the same as it's really looked for the last 50 years, which is a grassroots effort to reach the hearts and the minds of women in crisis pregnancies, to help them understand the life inside of them is unique and special, but also really helping redefine the pro-life movement as truly pro-family, pro-woman, and pro-child. And I think what we've allowed the pro-abortion movement to do is to try to trick and Uh, help or make women think that abortion is the only pro-woman solution. And we know as pro-life Americans that it's not pro-woman. And we need to just really on a grassroots level reach women and children where they are and help them understand all of the opportunities that are before them. Yes, absolutely. You've said that adoption is more important than ever with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And right now, there are over 2 million families waiting to adopt in the U.S. alone. But while adoption is a big part of pro-life culture, it's often not part of the conversation. So why do you think that many women don't consider adoption a legitimate option if they aren't in a position to raise the child? What we've done culturally is we have framed abortion as the quick and the easy solution to an unplanned or crisis pregnancy. We've even allowed the pro-abortion movement to name you know, their side pro-choice, where the truth of the matter is the life side has so many choices. 
Uh, we can equip a mom to be a successful parent. We can help a mom and a dad, you know, find permanency through marriage to be able to raise their child. We can help a mom who's in crisis with temporary care until she can get on her feet. But then we can also look at adoption for her and her child. And adoption has been painted as an archaic kind of, uh, you know, prehistoric tradition. But really, adoption's a beautiful opportunity where both the mother and the child thrive, but also today, most adoptions are open. So that mom, that woman has access to know what's going on with her child. She has access to be able to see her child grow. And so this is not a giving up as the pro-abortion movement has painted it, but this is a loving decision of a mom placing her baby into the hands of someone who might be more capable at this point in history to, to raise love nurture and plan for the future of that child. You know, one of the lies about the pro-life community is that they only care about the child until they're born. But we know that's not true is partially evidenced by the fact that your organization that embraces pro-life values is the largest in the country. And there's also Barna research data showing that Christians are making up the majority of adoptions nationwide and evangelicals have been twice as likely to adopt a child than other Americans. So you're all for Christian adoption and placing children in Christian families, but the help doesn't stop there. With adoption, many times we incorrectly define it almost as, you know, the, the process starts when a family enters into this idea of adoption and the process ends when they bring that child home. But the truth of the matter is, if we, as God's people called according to his purpose, are going to lean in, then we have to realize that the, really the, the race begins when the child comes into the home. And we, we want to help families to be able to thrive and, and to survive. We want to ultimately help them reach the heart of their child, to disciple that child in the way that they should go. And so we want to come around families and train them and support them and counsel them. That's why we have education services. So if a child that's come home through foster care or adoption, or maybe even through inter-country adoption, if they're struggling in the classroom, that could be a barrier to connection within the family. And so we want to help those families be able to navigate those stressors of life that are, that are being roadblocks or obstacles to them being able to reach the heart and the mind of their child. I actually was just with a family uh, last week, and they were talking about how their child had come home in a wheelchair from China with very little language. She was 12 years old. Honestly, this child had been on a floor where they thought she would never be adopted. And just this this semester, she's gone into college. She's thriving in college. She thinks she wants to be a neurosurgeon. And they started to talk about the difficulty when she came in at 12 around their education, but thanking us for not giving up on their child, but leaning in and talking about that once they were able to even get over that educational barrier, they were able to see her really lean into the family. And so we want to remove every obstacle and every barrier for that child to really integrate into that family, but also for that family to be able to lean in and disciple that child. And as you mentioned, Lifeline serves families with domestic and international adoption. And you also do foster parent training and placement in addition to your adoption services. So for those interested, can you talk about how listeners can find out more about how to adopt or place their unborn child into a Christian family through Lifeline? A hundred percent. You know, if you're working with a woman that's in a crisis pregnancy, uh, you can always connect with us at lifelinechild.org or call us at 205-967-0811. 
There's also a chat feature on our website so that any woman that is in this crisis, unplanned pregnancy, can instantly be connected with someone digitally, if that feels more comfortable, uh, physically, or over the phone. And so we want to be there to, to help these women and help them navigate all the options before them, the life-giving options before them. And then second of all, if a family is interested in what adoption or foster care or even strategic orphan care would look like for their family, they can visit us at lifelinechild.org. Again, that's lifelinechild.org or connect with us on any social media site, which again is at Lifeline Child. So if you remember Lifeline Child, lifelinechild.org is the website, at Lifeline Child on all the major uh, social media sites. That's great. You guys do such great work. And it's just an example that the pro-life issue is a massive effort that has so many different branches and avenues to reach the vulnerable, but it's all centered on the gospel message to love others as Christ loves us. There's so many needs to be met. So how would you encourage pro-life Christians to make an impact going forward? Yeah, I think first and foremost, you know, we, we, we've got to be humble people. And that's what we've been called to be. So to humbly step into the hard, step into the messy. You know, I recently have been reading through First Peter, and First Peter is really so practical to what we're walking through, even in the pro-life ministry and pro-life space and in a secularizing culture. You know, Peter tells believers, hey, do your good works in order that others will glorify a God who is in heaven. And then he skips right over in a couple of chapters and he says, oh, and hey, don't be surprised when fiery trials come your way. And so when we step into this space, we need to realize that the author of life is our God. The author of life is our Savior. He created and he formed life. But we have an adversary who wants to snuff out and destroy life. And so when we step into works of justice to reorient creation back to the way that the Lord meant for it to be in restoring and reconciling works, we've got to expect that we're going to be counterattacked. We're going to see darkness that's going to not like the light. I give this analogy. When my 12-year-old was five, she would get up on a Saturday morning, and at 5.30 a.m., 6 a.m., she'd turn the light on, and I wasn't too pleasant because I wanted her to turn the light off. Uh In the same way, we have to realize when we shine the light of the gospel of Christ Jesus in the darkest of places, and those dark places are where women are abused, where women are marginalized and vulnerable, where children are hurt where children are left abandoned. Those are the darkest places. We've got to expect the attack. And so pro-life people, we have got to be about works of justice. We've got to be about humbly loving that woman in our sphere of influence who may be walking through a myriad of things in her life. We've got to reach out to care for a child. And at the same time, as Peter says, Don't be surprised, beloved, when fiery trials come against you. And so in humbleness, with the Spirit of God, the strength of God, our Father, who loves life more than we ever will, we need to go forward humbly with with great conviction, great love, and great compassion, but to stand for truth, realizing that as we stand for truth, that is a gospel-driven conviction. Amen to that. We know we're doing something right when Satan's attacking, but we also need to encourage each other to fight the good fight and finish the race. So Herbie, thank you for doing that with this episode, just encouraging all of us to continue walking in the gospel and loving others and looking for ways to help vulnerable women, children, and families. Madison, thanks for having me, and we appreciate all that you guys do to shine the gospel out for listeners. All right, Madison, thanks so much for that conversation there. And that leaves us with time for one last thing. So we're going to look over at James 4. It's verse 10. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. I just think that's such a practical 
practical short verse in a world that is uh, completely opposed to that, right? It's so countercultural. But if we humble ourselves and in meekness, uh, that is is the, the key to being lifted up in the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, no, I, th- I think it's... Um one of the things that we struggle with most culturally, right, is humility yeah. and and being able to sort of set ourselves to the side for for God, which which I think is the struggle, and then for other people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is our natural tendency to look at ourselves first, to lift ourselves up. I mean, we've got a whole month dedicated to pride, it's which is the opposite of humbling ourselves, and we definitely all have a problem with that to some level or another. And so, a good reminder. I think that's what we'll leave it today on this Monday. Lord willing, and that creek don't rise. We'll be back here tomorrow with more. God bless.